All right, welcome to Beyond the Track podcast. This is a recording of a live interview that we did on Facebook in the Beyond the Track Facebook page. Hope you are a member there. If you are a collegiate track and field coach, please search Beyond the Track in Facebook and join the group for added value on your life as a professional track coach. We talk about mental health, physical health, financial health, relationship health, and just overall things that are going to make you hopefully a better person. So check us out on Facebook at Beyond the Track. Enjoy this interview with Lane Schwer, now formerly the head track and field coach at UNCW. And right before we get started, let's do a quick 30-second commercial break and then get right into it. Welcome to Interview the Coach at Beyond the Track. Not .com, I guess. It's Facebook, right? We are waiting on our first guest here. Uh, back. One of the uh, the goals of this group when I first started it Bam. a year ago was to... Uh, hey there, Lane. I'm... I'm doing the intro as we speak. So, <laughs> uh, so one of the goals that we had here when we started Beyond the Track, uh, and by we, it's just me and the, the voices in my head, uh, was to uh, work with our coaches outside of what you do in the track. You guys and gals do a phenomenal job of uh, coaching athletes. There's a lot of resources for that. Uh, we wanted, uh, I wanted to work on something more holistic, uh, the mental health of the coach, your personal life. Uh, what are you doing to become a, a total human being uh, when it comes to uh, coaching and your life and, and whatnot? So uh, this is the first interview we've done. I've kind of softballed it up a little bit here. Uh, our first guest is going to be uh, a guy who I've been friends with for a long time. It's just uh, <laughs> that's how old we are. Oh, 17 uh, years. So this, yeah, 17 years. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get into how we met and everything here. Uh, but, um, you know, so we're, uh, we're going to talk with, uh, head coach of University of North Carolina, Wilmington, Lane Schwier. Uh, we, uh, we're going to work with and maybe answer some of the questions that come up in the comments. Uh, however, Lane has guaranteed me that at some point he will come back, uh, to the comments and answer uh, any of your questions that you have that may uh, pop up from this interview here. Uh, we expect literally thousands of people to dial in here uh we are up against the nfl draft tonight so maybe we won't get to a million today lane but uh i am sure we'll we'll eventually get there so uh lane i, I can't thank you enough for being the guinea pig here and uh and doing our, our my very first interview here for beyond the track my first time ever on one of these anyway <laughs> yeah hey that makes two of us yep. so we'll see how how this goes here um I'm doing what I do best. I'm in, in a hotel. Uh, that's where I spend the majority of my life, it seems like. So or you're at home. Is that correct? I'm at home, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. You, you got to meet this weekend? Uh, no, we're actually off. We have a conference next weekend, so we're taking the weekend off. We're in finals. That's awesome. We start finals tomorrow, so no travel. Did you miss those days of doing finals for yourself? Finals for myself? No, I don't. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> These kids, uh, they can have the finals. Yeah. Uh, so, Lane, let's jump right in. Okay. Uh, I think that 
there are coaches out there in our uh, group that uh, find it be find it interesting as a head coach specifically of a Division One institution. Uh, what's your origin story? If you think back to your comic books you used to read and these superhero movies, were you bit by a, a radioactive spider, or what? How did you get to where you are today? Uh, well, I went to a Division Three university, Wittenberg University in Ohio, and I started off thinking I was going to be an engineer. Um, but quickly figured out I didn't want to be an engineer and went the let's be a teacher coach route. And uh, first coaching job was actually at a high school level where I was a science teacher in Ohio and uh, did that for two years. But then I quickly figured out that I enjoyed the after school coaching far more than the during the day teaching inside. So after two so years of did that... You start out, did you start out as an engineering major? Uh, physics. Physics. So what did you major. end up getting your degree in? Well, my major, I still majored in, still got my degree in physics, but I was an education okay. minor. I picked up education as a junior and then finished out uh, with an education minor and a physics major. And, uh, and what did you teach when you taught high school? I taught physics and ecology. Um, the, I guess ecology was easy enough. Ecology? Ecology. Okay. I physics, AP, AP physics, regular physics, and then ecology. Ecology was like the freshman level class. It wasn't very, I kind of learned it as I was teaching it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I did that for two years and uh, decided I didn't like being stuck inside a classroom all day long. I didn't like having bells governing my day. And um, I didn't like taking home homework. I thought I was always doing work, which is ironic <laughs> compared to now. Um, right. So I started looking into, you know, can I become a coach on a full-time? Because I enjoyed that so much after school. And, um, you know, applied everywhere under the sun and uh, wound up getting a job working at a little school called Center College, a little Division three school down in Kentucky. Uh, I believe I was technically called a GA, but they didn't have a grad school. So I was called a GA, but I wasn't a grad student. Basically, I was, a part, I was basically part-time. Um, I spent two years down in, in Danville, Kentucky, coaching at Center College. Um, I also did some substitute teaching at the local schools to make ends meet while I was doing it. Uh, but I worked right. with distance runners, a little bit with throwers, a little bit with vaulters, yeah, okay. a little bit of everything down there. Um, and you were a, a distance runner by trade, right, in college? You yeah, believe it or not. I know it's hard to believe these <laughs> days, but, yeah, I was, a, I was a long distance runner back in the day. Uh, right. And that position, because it technically was a GA position, it was only a two or three year gig. So I did it for two years and then uh, decided to, to move on. And I started looking at D3 coaching jobs at that point, just because that's all I had known at that point. But then right. I started finding out that most D3 schools wanted people with master's degrees because you often have to teach at the Division three level. Um, so I was getting a few calls, but I wasn't getting anywhere finding a job at the D3 level. And um, so I, at the end of that summer, I found the GA position at Ball State and uh, applied. I think, you know, I think Sue was kind of in a bind because it was very the summer. The school year was about to start. So she hired me right. kind of quickly, and I got hired at Ball State uh, as a GA. And uh, for, for what events? Because I find this very interesting. 
that's where I was coaching throwers and women's vaults. Right. So, yeah, women's women's throwers and women's vaults, and that's where you and, and I. More met. importantly, who did you meet at Ball State that just changed your life? Uh, snake keeper, yeah, snake keeper. <laughs> Yeah. Remember, this is your interview, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's where I believe I was hired before you, though. So uh, uh, you were absolutely. Yep, yeah, because I believe you had to come stay at my place when you came to town because you didn't have a place. Yet. That's right. So, that's right. so yeah. How, how did a distance runner, distance coach, end up coaching throwers at, at a Division One institution? Uh, like I said, I think Sue was desperate. Um, <laughs> I had I had gotten my level two the year before, and um, in, in in throws distance. in throws, you know oh, they okay. they actually say you know do what you're most comfortable with first. I did the complete opposite, and I said I, I'm going to learn something more because at that time I thought I knew a lot about throws, so I decided. Uh, right. hey, Sue's Sue's on your now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sue's Sue, um, Sue, so ears were burning. She heard us talking yeah. about it. So I actually got it in throws. And, uh, and I'd had some vault coaching experience just from a couple of years at the center. And I think, you know, the throws and the vault kind of came naturally to me just because of my physics background and understanding movement and stuff like that and mechanics. So, you know, because I had the level two throws, I had a little vault experience. She brought me on as yeah. a GA for throws and vault. And uh, did that for two years and, and had some some decent success with some of the girl throwers. I wouldn't say our vaulters did a, great job. did a whole lot, but the throws went all right. And then that GA position ended. And um, you got your degree. What, what was your master's degree in? Uh, sports biomechanics. So I took that physics and okay. then kind of applied it to the sports world. And so now you got to get into the real world. You got to get a, a paying so job. So now I'm sitting actually in your house where I was living at the time. And you had already left, I believe, to go to Mississippi State, and I was sitting there, and the men's program at Ball State was, was going through being disbanded, and so the men's head coach, Jim, being Jim Strecker, what? Being cut. Being cut. Ball State was cutting their yeah, men's they were track. Cutting yeah, I disbanded. So the men's Ball head State coach. Was cutting men's track. The yeah. men's head coach was... was looking to leave and uh he, i remember him coming over one day and saying he came over to the house and said i'm gonna go back to well at the time it originally he was gonna go to campbell and then he got oh. his, and he actually took that job for two days and then somebody from from uncw called him and wanted him to come back because he had been here previously for a long time Right, and he said i'd like you to go with me and be my distance slash throws coach you know, I didn't have one of the job, only ones so in the like, world. Okay, looks like I'm going to North Carolina. So I came right. with Jim Sprecher down here 15 years ago, and wow. um, I've been here ever since. And um, for the first uh, five years, I did both rows and distance. And um, then we had, then we were able to hire a throws coach, and I was able to give up coaching throws and just focus on distance, and did that for seven years. And then the throws coach left, and we went through some some issues that we'll probably talk about in a little bit. And um, sure. And then Jim ended up moving on, and I got promoted to interim head coach for a year. And I guess I didn't screw up too bad because the next year they decided to keep <laughs> me on. 
Um, and I've been the head coach officially the last two years. So I've been here at UNCW now for 15 years, last three okay. of which is the head coach. So 12 years as an assistant. Yep, 12 years as an assistant, three as head, yeah. And, and, you know, as we, we both know a lot of coaches, and there's a lot of coaches that'll uh, watch us as well. There'll be some young coaches. Um, it's pretty typical to hear that a coach wants to coach Division One, right? That's yep. the holy grail in a lot of cases. And you came from a very Division Three background from your undergrads, your first uh, coaching job. And now you've been in the Division One world for over 15 years, two, you know, 17, two as a, as a GA. What, and you know lots of other D3 coaches and D2 even and stuff like that. What would you say is uh, some of the biggest differences that you've noticed between like a Division Three to a Division One coach? Paperwork. Um, I mean, just, <laughs> just talking to Jim Sprecher, I mean, he's now moved back to Division Three for the first time. Um, and he says he doesn't have to do any paperwork. He, <laughs> he doesn't, right. you know, they don't have to do recruiting paperwork. They don't have to do practice logs. They don't have to do any of that stuff at Division Three. So it's just coaching and recruiting. It's the basics, which sounds awesome right. because he doesn't have to do any of the stuff that we have to be doing. Um, yeah. He's yeah. It, got it a sounds lot. like it's only getting worse in the paperwork side. Oh, it is. Uh, with uh, some of the new rules being passed here recently and yeah. others that are being considered. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've talked to a lot of coaches, and he's talked to a lot of coaches who are just, you know, shaking their heads at where the coaching is going, the NCAA, all the new rules, and especially at the Power right. 5 level, they've got a lot of new things that just got thrown on this year that I'm glad at our level we haven't adopted most <laughs> of that. Um, right. But there's a lot of stuff changing this year, this next year that's going to, you know, we're doing official visits for juniors starting this next year. So yeah. You know, that's going to that. open up a whole new can of worms. And um, the whole new transfer stuff is going to complicate yeah. that. But it, in a lot of ways, it's, you know, it's becoming less fun. <laughs> yeah. It's not yeah. just close yeah. anymore. Yeah, let's stay on this origin story real quick. Because, okay. uh, again, I think we're going to have a lot of young coaches that will watch this. Do you feel uh, that you being a Division three athlete has – hindered you in any way to becoming a division one coach or even the opposite has it helped you in some way that maybe we were not thinking um or is it just but i think there's always that i don't know if it's really really true but they always say if you're a division three coach it's hard to move up to division one or if you're a one it's kind of one of the mythologies yeah you know it's you see that in other sports and stuff. You rarely hear about a big-time Division three coach getting hired for a Division one job. They always go with a Division one assistant coach, um, you know, or even a, you know, a successful Division two coach. I mean, you see Charlie White or not Charlie. You see um, Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. He was a very successful D two coach at Grand Valley for a long time before he got his shot at Cincinnati, and then that led to Notre Dame. So he's you know, a good example of somebody that moved up, but you rarely hear about a D3 person moving up. Um, right. You know, I mean, there's big differences. The resources is one thing. Um, but I'll be honest, I mean, I'm Division One now, but <laughs> my resources, there's Division Twos and Division Threes in this state that have far more resources than we do, far more scholarships than we do. So I'm, I don't have any advantage over any of them. Um, right. Yeah. So I think at Division Three, you learn how to recruit. <laughs> but you're... 
Division three, you learn how to recruit yeah. without scholarships, so maybe that's coming handy because I don't have much of that right now. So I have to try to talk kids into coming for anything for everything right. but money. Um, right. So you get that experience. Um, right. you, you, so learn do, you, you learn how to do. Let's talk about how to do more with less. Is what you learn to do right. at the lower level. Yeah. So you bring up resources, which uh, uh, I haven't met a coach yet that uh, has enough resources. <laughs> you know, we could always deal with more. We we definitely know that as uh, track and field programs, uh, when you look at the number of coaches, basketball programs get for the number of athletes that they coach. And, uh, you know, even football seems to have a coach for every position. There's like a, I think there's a right guard assistant coach, a left guard assistant coach, a, uh, you know, yeah. tight ends coach. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yep. So, uh, you know, our, our basketball team has a three or four to one athlete ratio. You know? I've got a, yeah. a 20 to one, you know? Yeah. And, and full rides with basketball, which, you know, let's not even start going into that, of course. Uh, so the next part of these interviews, uh, those great origin story, Lane, I really appreciate you sharing. I think there's some coaches that uh, maybe are out there that are division three or division three athletes that think that they can't make it to the division one. You know, you're a, uh, that story is a really good inspiration. That you know, I'm not sure that it matters the background. It's the the work you put in that, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and of course, some breaks that you make that uh, that can get you to the Division One if that's what you really aspire to. I think a lot, a lot of, uh, so a lot of young, young people they got to realize. I mean, it's just like it's always been the case. You know, unless you get super lucky, you just you got to pay your dues. A lot of people you have to start off as a volunteer. You have to start off as a graduate assistant. You know, a right. lot of people. It's just like kids when they're graduating, they think they're going to start off making $60,000 a year. They're very unrealistic about what the real starting point is in most careers, and especially yeah. in the coaching career. There's, there are not that many jobs out there. You're not going to just go and suddenly start coaching. Coaching track. Right. my wife that all the time. I can't just up and go coach in California or go coach in Indiana again. It's like there's only so many right. jobs, you know, and, and I'm just a, another average distance coach. There's a billion of us out there, so... You know, it's, <laughs> well, you got to I don't know about average. Yeah, you're, you're an above average throws coach. I still believe that. <laughs> That's always been my opinion. There, uh, done a great job there. But hey, again, you brought up resources. Uh, you know, the, the second part of each one of these interviews that that I do here, Lane. Uh, I think every coach has something that's uniquely interesting about them. Uh, with you, I think there is something that may uh, reach out to, uh, to every program uh, coach that will, will watch this interview. And that is uh, a few years ago, and you, you'll put together the timeline for us here, UNCW actually cut not just the men's program, which we've heard about, you know, Ball State did that while we were there, uh, but actually cut your men's and women's program, when you were, you were an assistant coach at that time, uh, cut both programs, but yet here we are, you're still clearly the head coach of UNCW, so that, that didn't happen. And, uh, kind of walk us through that timeline. I mean, that's just uh, an amazing thing to go through. Yeah, I mean, I, I blame Jim Sprecher because he was at two different programs that got cut, <laughs> so, Ball State and then here. Um, that's right. So, yeah, it was uh, December 2014, right before convention. Um, wow. They called Sprecher in and kind of let him know that they were recommended. They had, they had, the year before, they had tried to get rid of our swim team and softball, actually, that year. And uh, hmm. they fought, and they ended up saving them. So then they turned the target to us and uh, – yeah, they, they told us that at the end of the year, our, all of our teams, cross-country track, men, women, everything was going to be done. 
And um, I mean, we we kind of what was their reasoning? Well, they've done some studies. I mean, we're a very small budget Division One program, and we're we're by far we're by far the overall athletic department. We're by we're like ten million lower than the next lowest in our conference. And so they had made the decision that they wanted to beef up other programs. It was kind of like a business that has five departments and they needed to trim down to four to strengthen up those four. So quite honestly, from an outsider perspective, from a business decision, what they were trying to do, it wasn't anything personal against us. Uh, They were just trying to strengthen up everybody else. And for some reason, they had done some studies and the bullseye got put on us one of their reasons was you know we weren't very well funded we we have very few scholarships we have a very modest operating budget and they know that and they didn't feel like it was fair to keep us going in that state um now now, and that's understandable right like i think a lot of people like you're saying from the outside you kind of understand that help us understand so they weren't spending very much money anyway so it sounds like it's hard to say that uh um this would save the university athletic department a lot of money. We're not spending a lot of money, but even yeah. with those small resources, where were you guys as far as success? Whether it's uh, both academic and athletic, how, how were the teams doing academically? How were they representing I mean, our, at that time? Are we last in conference? Our men had just the year before that won the eleventh conference title. Um, our track and field program, our men's team in 1997, won the very first CAA conference title in any sport in school history. And wow. men's swimming has won 13 titles, and men's track has won 11 titles. Our, our women have been as high as second a time or two. Um, so we've been competitive. So it wasn't for a lack of being competitive. Um, so so that's we're... interesting because I, I, I think a lot of people think that programs get cut when it's, there's easy excuses of like, oh, well, you're not that good anyway, and you're not good because we don't support you, mm-hmm. so why don't we just stop this? Here, Here's a program that had won 11 championships mm-hmm. and it had gotten as high as second on the women's side, so by all cases, that, that's a successful program. I mean, that's, yeah. I don't know, anybody yeah. else says I mean, that, that year that they announced they were going to cut us, that spring, our men's team went and won the Colonial Relay, so we were still pretty good even that year. Um, wow. In 2000, the spring of 2015, while we were fighting to save our program, we still went and won the Colonial Relays that year on the men's side. Wow. Um, another thing they told about, we have an aging track. Our track was built in 1988. This summer it will be 30 years old. And they, they said, we don't have the money to repair it. And you're, you know, right. you know how they do senior exit interviews and stuff. And I guess over the years, people right. have complained about the, the track being old and worn out and some people had exaggerated and said it was dangerous so they were kind of throwing that back on us that you've got a dangerous facility that we can't afford to repair or replace so you know again we don't want you out there if you don't have a proper facility you're not properly funded so you know that was their reasoning and and, and it made some sense it just sucked that they had chosen us so yeah obviously there was a lot of uproar from alumni and parents and people in the community and um Right. You know, it was a, a battle for three or four months there. And so, so in December they announced it. Yep. Yeah, uh, so we had to go to convention I, I right after that. And of course, <laughs> yeah. the news had gotten out. Yeah, go, that was a pretty go to convention and have fun. Pretty right. tough. So uh, I noticed having to tell the story over and over to people about what was happening. Right, of course. I've noticed that when it's announced that programs are cut, 
Uh, and, and if I remember correctly, this happened on the social media side with, uh, specifically for, with you guys as well. There becomes this big groundswell of support from alumni and mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, and, and obviously, you, you'll start telling us here in a second that that helped, that, that worked, I guess. I mean, again, you're, you're here, which is awesome. Uh, but I've, I've always wondered for programs, and, and I don't know that there's a necessarily a single program out there that shouldn't be concerned with this. Um, I don't know that you're safe just because you're in a Power 5. I think Oregon's uh, the only team that's safe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for, for now. <laughs> yeah. Mean, you know, they, they have their own problems uh, out there. So, um, I'm always interested that once the program is cut, then a lot of alumni kind of come out of the woodwork and supporters. And it's always been interesting to me, what if that would happen with programs before they got caught, before they get cut? uh, uh, So it's it's always interesting. It's kind of a a secondary theme, maybe a good discussion in the future for uh, for Beyond the Track. So it's announced in December. Uh, You still go out in April or May and win the Colonial Relay. So what's happening? Uh, as the season's going yeah, along, is there any hope, or is it? Is well, there we had, uh, I mean, within a month or so, there was a lot of back and forth, and we had at the time we had an, an interim chancellor of the university. Um, okay. It was kind of like he was brought in to kind of clean up some things on campus before they hired a new chancellor, and they kind of let him be a part of the whole bad guy situation with getting rid of us or, or cutting us. Sure, and but somehow we got some parents and some people to convince us to get a little, give us a little bit of fighting chance and I don't want to say he made a mistake but he um, he gave us an out and he said if we could raise like $250,000 and well he also said we need to raise enough money to replace our track um, right. that that would buy us if we raised 250000 that would give us another year so okay. we, we immediately went about what when did he announce that? Uh, January, that February. Was, that was January, February, something like that. He gave us three months, basically. By a certain date, it wasn't like it was by like I don't know, end of May. We had to have two hundred fifty thousand dollars raised. And, and what did you raise on a normal year? Oh gosh, twenty or thirty. And most of that was by putting okay, on so cross country meet. Right, yeah, so I mean, about ten you, times. You hit the nail on the head. Our, our alumni involvement allowed no. And a lot of that was the way our athletic department was doing things. They were, a lot of our donations that we used to get, they weren't necessarily supporting our team. It was going into a general fund, a general scholarship right. fund. And everybody saw the writing on the wall that it wasn't benefiting us, so people just stopped donating. And, you know, you can't blame them. Right. They, they weren't seeing the result of their donation. You know, people want to see sure. things that you're buying with their money. They don't understand. Absolutely. The scholarship bill that still has to get paid. Um, yeah, they want to see tangibility. Absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, we we had to raise twenty or thirty thousand. That was kind of our obligation from the athletic department was to raise that much. So we did most of that just by having a big cross country meet every year and and uh, sure. just some solicitations. Um, but then, yeah, the outpouring. I mean, we heard from alumni we hadn't heard from in years, and parents, and a lot of people in the community. And, um, there was a, we had a lady, we were at the Colonial Relays that spring, and one of our uh, former athletes that was kind of volunteering with us was sitting in the stands next to a lady whose son was a freshman, or was going to be a freshman full water at Mount St. Mary's. And she sat and listened to her story, 
and she goes, you know, I want to help you guys out. And before we left that meet, she had written us a $10,000 check right there at that meet. Oh, I'm sorry. Yep. There, there might be a bad feed here. Nope. Because it sounded like you said a $10,000. Yep. yep. And this this uh, this woman was not an alum. Nope. Her son or daughter was not going to UNCW. Nope. Wow, that's She heard the story. She thought we were being done wrong, and she and to top that off. I don't know. Maybe a month later, she gave us another ten or fifteen. We ended up getting twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars from one lady who had no connection 10%. to our program. What's that? Wow. Yeah, ten percent of that money came from her. Yeah, yeah. But I hope you've done something nice to her, like send her a card. Every- <laughs> we did multiple of those. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did a wow. lot more. Um, if she is watching, yeah. or if you know who this this woman is, one of our that kids, is a track savior, right one there. One of our kids. Um, actually, I saw her a year or two later. Her and her husband were on a cruise. They out of Baltimore, and they had docked in Wilmington on their way to Charleston. And she actually got off the boat and took a taxi over to the school just to see the school that she had helped out. And we actually happened to be having practice that day. So she came by the track, and I was like, holy cow. And so I got to see her then. And then this past year at the um, at Shamrock meet down in Myrtle Beach, uh, Mount St. Mary's was there. And one of our kids met her because she just struck up a conversation again. She didn't give us a check this time, but... She she said, "You remember something about?" <laughs> it's not gonna happen every she time. She asked the kid if he, if he heard anything about somebody giving money, and I think he told her yes or something like that. So he met her. He told me this story like a few days later. I said, "I wish you'd come and found me. I'd like to go see her again." Yeah. Um, That's amazing. So we ended so up what, so uh, we ended up raising raise the money. money. Yeah, we okay. actually raised two hundred and sixty plus thousand dollars, um, and so that chancellor. You know, basically gave us another year, but then what really happened was they actually hired a new full-time permanent chancellor, and he came in and did his own little analysis. He saw all the support we had gotten, and um, he made the decision that not only are they here for the next year, but they're here permanently. He went ahead and said, you know, they're not responsible for raising the money for the track right away. That still needs okay. to happen, but they don't have to do that, and, and he saved us. Um, unfortunately, before that really happened, that's when Sprecher, who was the head coach throughout all that, had already made the decision to leave. And uh, so that's when I kind of fell into the interim role there because it was midsummer at that point uh, when they right. decided to save us. And um, so, but then still the task of, you know, I, I'm not going to go too much into details, but, you know, they saved us, but they've put some, they put some pretty tough restrictions on us now. So we're not the same team we were before, uh, between roster size so they and scholarships reduced? and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, I hope I'm asking this right way. Did they reduce the already low resources they were giving you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're, we're going a couple yeah. steps above a club team at this point. Um, so yeah. we're, we're not going to meets with, the. Full, full uh, armament at this point. Um, we've That's got why some... on, on this weekend you're not at Penn or Drake. Or no. Anyway. Well, yeah. yeah. Part of that. Understandable. Hey, every program's yeah. got to do the right thing. Yeah. Part of that's because we're in finals, and you know we've got conference yeah. next right. week, and you know so we would probably wouldn't have gone to those meets anyway. Sure, maybe sure. a few kids, but not really. But but this new so chance what is the health of the big program? Fan. He, uh, he said, we're saving your team. And then 
within the next year, you know, we, we talked them into approaching the city and the county, and we actually talked our city and county into, between the two of them, they've given us $800,000 to put towards a new track. So this summer, we're finally yeah. replacing our track. Yeah. We got 30 years out of the last one, so hopefully this one will <laughs> Just another 30. But it's not gonna, we're not going to get 800000 again for another 30 years, so it's got to last. You're right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So what's the health of the program uh, as it is today? Are there concerns about well, I, the chancellor changing his mind next year? Or well, is it pretty good? We talk about that all the time. I don't think we can ever say, hey, we're saved. You know, some people say, well, once you sure. get that track, surely they're not going to cut you now. I'm like, well, you, know, you can't say that. They may still say, yeah. you know, especially if the NCAA goes and changes the sports sponsorship requirements. You know, right now you have to sponsor X number of sports. Well, if they lower that a lot, then schools yeah. might say, hey, we don't need all these sports. Let's get rid of a few more. And, that's where I think some of the bigger schools have to be kind of concerned. If they say a Power Five school only has to sponsor ten sports, then they may say let's double football and we'll get rid of a few more sports. You know, I don't, I don't right. think anybody's completely safe by that. Um, you know, and we've had a lot of talks. I mean, at convention for several years, there was a lot of talks about how do we get track and field back to, you know, being the relevant sport that we we used to be or we think we used to be. And, you know, what changes need to make or do we need to make? And, you know, they hired a, a company to do a big study and he basically concluded that we were screwed in a lot of ways. And, um, we need to do, we need <laughs> oh, to do a lot of things. You know, our sport, I say this all the time, that we do so many things so much different than any other sport that a lot of people just don't understand us. You know, one of my pet peeves is going to multiple meets on the same day. You know, what other sport does that? You know, it's, you know, it's like your football team going to doing offense is going to Florida and your defense is going to Texas. It doesn't make sense. But in track, we go four different places some weekends. And I understand why we do it and we're allowed to do it, but should we do it? I mean, do administrators really understand that? Or meets aren't scored. What do you mean your team didn't win? You didn't even score your meet? <laughs> so I think as a sport, and this is what we try to look at at the end of every year, is what do we need to do to – to enhance ourselves to make it so they have no no desire to get rid of us because we're popular in the community you know we, we bring a lot of value right. to not just the department but the community and you know you got to put on home meets you know a lot of schools don't put on home meets and it's not easy to put on home meets but you got to have some home meets right. um so let me ask you you're, you're starting to answer the, my next question here okay. uh so uh, i'm going to go out on a limb here uh, I hope I'm exaggerating, but there's going to be a certain percentage of people who will see this interview and they have the same concerns you are. They maybe not have been announced that they're being cut, uh, but they feel like maybe the writing's on the wall or they heard rumblings. What would you recommend to a staff, a program, to maybe get in front of that? And, and you, start, you talked about you have a lot of value to the athletic department as a track and field program. So what are some things a, uh, maybe a staff, a program should be doing to where they can erase those thoughts from their chancellors or any yeah. needs of, of dropping their programs? Well, say that there, there's an article that um, um, Dennis Mitchell from Akron wrote years ago called like the 10 lane victory or something like that. I forget what it was, but he had 10 different things that he outlined that track programs needed to make sure they were doing 
you know, and one of those was putting on home meets and, you know, and, and publicizing your program and, and, you know, telling story, telling the story of your program and all your, 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 your good athletes and your top athletes. Um, you you got to connect with your alumni. And that's, that has changed a lot. Since all this happened, our alumni have gotten a lot more involved and they have become more regular donors. Now, we're not raising 250000 a year, although some sure. of our administrators actually commented to me the following year that they were expecting us to raise that every year from then on. Uh, it's like, are you serious? You really could? I mean, to be honest, there's probably some people that'll see this. We had probably 20 or 25 coaches that from around the country that donated when we were raising that money. There were a lot of coaches um, that, that got involved. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I mean, I saw Coach Fry on here. Like, Coach Fry was very you know, yeah. vocal about it. I think he even mentioned us at a convention that year because he was the, uh, the president. I remember I that. He, he even said something up on stage about it, you know, uh, coaching friends and people that I don't even know personally. I went back through the list and I saw all these coaches that had donated. And I'm like, that's just really awesome. So it was funny because yeah. they were expecting all these people to just be continual donors. And I'm like, these guys are coaches. They're not going to donate to my program. Uh, uh, I, have to, I have to joke is, um, you know, one of the coaches that, that did donate was, uh, was laying up at Toledo. You know, Ling and I knew each other because he used to be down here in North Carolina at Greensboro. He donated. And then one year I was joking with him because he was recruiting down here in North Carolina still. And I told him, you know, you're not allowed to recruit down here against me because, you know, you're considered a donor to my program now. So you're not allowed to recruit. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> uh, but I, I think that it was a wake-up call to a lot of our alumni and our supporters that they have to yeah. be involved. So whether it's coming back to your home meets or it's it's donating, even if it's small amounts. I mean, we just have donors that are just, you know, $100 a year, but they're doing it in monthly installments. Or some of them are $20 or $50, but they count. And we've got one of the higher percentage alumni donation rates in, in our department now. Um which is still not where you would think it should be. I mean, alumni donations across the country aren't very good. I mean, I think the average alumni donation rate at colleges is like 6%. It's not very high. Um, but we're probably 20% or so now, um, just with our team alone. Um, you know, we've got some people in the community. Um, there's a lady here in town. Her son ran local high school they often used our track she helped save us she he writes me a check for five or ten thousand about every year now um and she never did track or anything herself but we've gotten these kinds of people i think you have to find ways to promote your team you know community service and getting out there hosting clinics um so that if it ever came up you'd have a lot of people to rally around you and so we have we have a big active running community uh, now they were very instrumental in helping us yeah. organizing a road race to raise money and and, and uh, we had some very very active parents you know you, you gotta get your parents involved it's not like high school where you have to have your booster club or anything run by the parents but you, you need to have parents who are you know still involved in some capacity because uh, right. you need to fall back on them when you need their help. Um, so there's, there's lots of things. But, you know, social media, that, that was the big thing with social media. We put yeah. it to the news, and the local news was covering it pretty heavily. I mean, we still go places 
Um, and people will see I'm wearing, you know, the track and field stuff no matter where I go. And they'll say, I didn't realize you guys saved your team. Um, but we heard about the story and, um, yeah, it got out That's, pretty big. Yeah, another uh, uh, the social media was a big deal in regards to, uh, I think you guys did crowdfunding Indiegogo or Kickstarter or whatever or something like that as well. Um, I, I think that alumni part is... Uh, a big part of it and I think maybe it's uh, I get your feedback here maybe it's twofold one is you know you got to reach out to your alumni and that way you can show your school you know what they're doing back for your program etc mm-hmm. but, but also and you touched on this a little bit you know a lot of times we reach out to alumni and it's just for money but the alumni never see or feel or know what they're giving their 10, 20, 100, 5,000 dollars yeah Towards, uh, how do you like? What, what are your thoughts on engaging alumni and then keeping that engagement with alumni? Yeah, we 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 have right now we have three different funds that we ask them to, to support. One is the scholarship fund because there is a scholarship bill that has to get paid, and we can't ignore that. There is also a, a what's really helped is there's a support fund which is kind of a slush fund that. I can use the money from that fund to purchase big ticket items that are above and beyond our normal operating expenses and what our facilities people are able to buy for us. So whenever we've made purchases with that, we've made sure we've really publicized that. Like last year when we bought new hurdles or or we got some elliptical bikes, we made sure, hey, this is what your money helped us buy. And so they really started to see, hey, okay, my donation is helping the team now. Uh, right. And then now we've got a facility fund. You know, we're getting the track renovated this summer, mostly because of the city and the county, but we've got additional needs. You know, we don't even have permanent restrooms at our track right now. We have porta johns out there, so we need some permanent restrooms built, more bleachers, lights, scoreboard. So we're trying to educate our, our, our people that that's not going to come from the school. It's got to come through fundraising. Um, right. Our softball team has completely re- revamped their facility, and everybody's like, why is the school helping them out? And if they're not, that's been all private donations that they've raised. Our baseball team has built this building. That's how it's all happening right now. The schools yeah. don't have enough. Unless you're a Power 5 with big football programs, most schools do not have enough to be doing all that building without going into heavy debt. Our school doesn't like to go into heavy debt. Um you know, we're not a, if you build it, they will come kind of people. We, we raise right. the money and then build it. Uh, right. So our alumni have got to figure out that the school's not going to just do it. They've got to lead the charge on raising most of this money to make it happen. Um, right. and, and a lot more of them are beginning to understand that. So that, right. that's really helpful. And, and one more question uh, before we get to our last question interview. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned that there is a, uh, tuition bill or a scholarship bill that has to get paid. Uh, have you ever thought of, or do other coaches talk about, uh, at the end of the year, creating a business report for your AD and chancellor, talking about you know how many kids are on the program, here's how much we pay for their scholarship, here's how much monies they're actually paying in for this school. Uh, I would tend to think, and then you know you get your operating budget itself as well as another expense but basically showing the higher-ups what your program brings in to the university a net positive has anybody ever 
talked about that or done I, that? Or? I know a lot of D3 schools that do that because they're not giving out scholarships, and anybody they bring help recruit in sure. is paying to the school. Um, right. With us, I mean, we, we did some of that. You know, we told them, he said, the problem is our school is very popular. They have no shortage of applications. You know, they get 14, 15,000 applications every year for 2,000 freshman spots. So, for us to say, if we don't, if we're not here, these track kids aren't going to come, the school's going to lose money, is not yeah. true, because they're, they're just going to fill in with other kids that are going to pay money. Yeah, it's a tough sell. Um, it's so that, that, that strategy doesn't necessarily work for us. Um, but yeah, we have 50 kids on the team. Maybe half of them are on a small partial scholarship. Um, right. So a lot of them are paying, especially the out-of-state kids. They're paying $30,000 a year to go to school here. Yeah. So that is money coming into the university, but the school would easily replace that if we weren't here. Got it. <laughs> so Got that strategy yeah. would work. At some schools, that, that strategy is a good idea. You prove, hey, we're bringing in value, increase money without us, it wouldn't, you know, wouldn't have yeah. it. You know, the bigger our roster, the more money we can bring in. That unfortunately doesn't work for us here. Yeah, point well made. Well, man, I tell you, you know, you saw it secondhand when you're at Ball State when they cut the men's program, and then obviously uh, very firsthand uh, at UNCW cutting uh, men's and women's track and field, and then really rallying the troops, so to speak, with uh, alumni and uh, non-alumni donations. I, th- I think it's fascinating. I'm not sure that uh, maybe a lot of um, coaches out there maybe had heard or thought about that aspect. Uh, fundraising that uh, you know again seemingly oh, not alone of that two sixty more than half of that was people that weren't connected to our team. Yeah, that weren't alumni, traditional right. alumni and stuff. Yeah, no, that it was uh, that community. Yeah, that, that's awesome, man. Well, I'm glad you guys fought. I know Sprecher was a part of that as well, and um, you know it took a lot of people to to fight for that. Uh, but I think uh, and, and it's awesome that you saw that with other coaches. Uh, we tend to always think about coaches tearing each other down on the recruiting trail. No, and that was like really that. cool. So just, yeah, that, uh, that is that is really cool to see that coaches come together because they realize that having more programs is beneficial for our sport. Uh, we can't get all get down to just, well, there's only one program left, right? Right. <laughs> That'd be a pretty boring meet. So. Uh, so really appreciate that. I know that's not an easy topic to discuss, Lane. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad that it comes with a happy ending, that a program is still there. And I know you're obviously still fighting for more resources for your current athletes and, and future athletes as well. So uh, th- thanks for, for doing that. Um, part of this interview, Lane, uh, and what we're trying to do with all uh, of the interviews as well is to help uh, with Beyond the Track is help increase your Network. So you obviously know a lot of coaches. You've been coaching for a long time now. Uh, but there's still a lot of coaches you don't necessarily know out there. So I want to give you an opportunity to maybe uh, ask the audience, or ask uh, someone who may be watching this, uh, a, a question, whether it's a question of something you're struggling with now, uh, something that you just maybe want to know an answer to. And, uh, and I'm a big believer in crowdsourcing, so I think someone or someone's out there watching this video right now will uh, have either gone through a similar situation that you're going through or maybe has some suggestions. So, uh, Lane, what do you got? You've got the, the audience here. What would you like to ask the Beyond the Track audience? Well, I mean, one of the bigger struggles I have is, is and it might be just a, a consequence of being a small school with a small staff. So I know there's a broad range of coaches on here that 
are on staffs that are maybe smaller than my three-person staff, and there's staff people on here that are part of, you know, fully staffed schools. But just uh, delegating and um, time management. I have a hard time as a head coach um, splitting up responsibilities, delegating, and trusting that my assistant coaches are going to be able to handle more than I think they're going to be able to. And, um, you know, I think you and I talked about that book, Multipliers. That's been really fascinating with me lately about I think I'm I'm, I'm an accidental diminisher, I think is what what the lady (laughs) calls it. You know, I I have this problem where I think if it's going to get done right, I have to do it myself. And I find myself going through this repeated cycle of getting pissed that I'm doing a lot of the work. But then I realize, but I'm not ever giving them an opportunity to do it. And so I have to learn how to delegate more. So I'm curious how staffs split up all their responsibilities. I mean, obviously you have your event areas that you're responsible for coaching, but what do the head coaches out there feel like their their main responsibilities are and then what do they just absolutely delegate out and let their assistant coaches completely handle and then you know assistant coaches what are they willing to take on and this is something with my two assistants this summer that i'm going to have a talk with them about is if i left tomorrow and the two of you were left to I don't say fight it out for who gets to take over as interim, or if you're given the opportunity, would you, would you be ready? I don't know that I've done a good job of trying to teach them to take right. over if I left, but I don't know that they've ever tried to learn. Um, so yeah. I think I'm going to spend a lot of time this summer trying to, uh, you know, cross-train responsibilities and, 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 and then figure out who I want to delegate what to. I just know I get very frustrated because I seem like I put in a lot more hours than I probably should, but I could probably solve that problem by delegating and trusting them to handle more. So I'm curious what other head coaches, what are the, the main things that they, they keep that they are responsible for? And right. what do they delegate out to others and just say, you do it, I trust what you're going to do. You know, and then, you know, do you, how closely do you monitor that stuff? I mean, if you put somebody in charge of, you know, monitoring academics, how, how closely do you monitor the academics on top of that? Are you double-checking them? Are you, are you looking over their shoulder, or are you just letting them completely be in charge of that? Um, or, you know, somebody's responsible for recruiting. You know, does the head coach completely let the recruiting coordinator take care of all that and they're involved when it comes time for the visits and maybe their event area or do you keep your hands in it to a certain extent? I'm not sure a head coach would ever really be out of it. Obviously, I don't think that would work. Yeah, so that's a big thing I'm still grasping. I I thought I knew it all. But before I took over, when Jim (laughs) left, I thought I was ready. I thought I knew it all. I mean, I've been thinking I was ready to be a head coach for 10 years. And and now I'm finding out you know, the paperwork and all the other crap that head coaches have to do that I don't think the coaches have to worry about as much. You know, what what is the head coach's main things they need to focus on and what can they delegate out? You know, and I'm, I'm working with two assistant coaches, so I can't delegate it out to as many people as some people are able yeah. to either. 
So that's that's one of my bigger challenges I face right now is, and that's a big part of what your your page is about is that work life balance. And I feel like yeah, I get overwhelmed. But is it because I I keep a lot of that on myself and I don't have to? I shouldn't have to. Right. Um, my other big kind of. Um, thing I'm trying to figure out and talk with people about is is going back, we mentioned it earlier about what does track need to do? What changes do we possibly need to make to get ourselves back to being a very well respected sport that is understood by the general public, that is understood by our administrators, that you know, around here we say the sports that get all the respect are the ball sports. Uh-huh. You know, your basketball, your soccer, golf, tennis, baseball, softball. What about us? I mean, we've got a lot of unique and great things about our sport. Absolutely. We should sell that. But there's also a lot. I mean, we're a five-ring circus, and our meets uh-huh. are long, and we have a lot of events. And Do we need all those events? or? Or going back to we don't score meets, you know, what other sport doesn't score every event? Or what other sports split their teams up? Um, you know, those are things that I think about a lot. There's, I know why we do it, and we're allowed to do it, but is it good for our sport? And there's going to be a lot of things, and this is where I would love to hear from other coaches about what their thoughts are, because there are coaches at programs that do all that, and, and they enjoy doing that. But what I want them to think about is, okay, it may be good for your sport. Or it may be good for your team, but is it good for our sport? And moving forward, if we're going to save this sport for the long term, we may have to make some tough decisions that's for the good of the sport, but maybe not be the good for your team. Right. You know, we have these debates right. at convention every year, and a lot of things never get voted through because we can't come to a consensus because – it, it's good for half the school and it's bad for half the school so we never get it passed uh, yeah. there are a lot of th- you know do we need to eliminate some events you know there's been talk of that a lot of times over the years you know do we need the 100 and the 200 do we need the 10k you know there's things like that that you know if we want to shorten the track meet so that we can get on TV more often we probably need to eliminate some events you know right. we've done a lot of things like the NCAA finals format has greatly improved that now but what other things need to happen you know one thing that used to bug me was when teams would have kids wearing multiple colored uniforms in the same races you know I was at regionals one year and uh, there was a power five school there they had three guys in the same heat of the hundred they ran and I didn't realize they were all from the same school until popped up <laughs> on the results board but they were wearing all three right. different colors of uniform in the same race Fortunately, two right. years ago, at least at Division One, we passed the rule that you have to look alike. And I was yeah. glad that happened because that used to bug me that we didn't look alike. Yeah. I had this high school coach back in high school. Our high school coach, probably a weekly basis, used to give us the uniform talk. He said it's called a uniform for a reason. It's supposed to be a right. uniform look. <laughs> okay. So I'm glad we made that change at least so we can tell yeah. who's on which team. All right. Well, let's, let's uh, stay focused on your first one. Okay. So you're watching this video right now. So what I heard, Lane, I'm going to say it back and kind of what I heard, make sure that uh, if there is, and not if, I know there are people out there right now that can help with this. Uh, so a, a small staff, 
uh, and that you're struggling right now with really two big themes there was uh, staff development and then therefore, which goes hand in hand, delegation of tasks for that staff, uh, which is a small task. Uh, interestingly, there, there is a coach I had an amazing conversation with uh, a week or so ago that I think uh, would be able to really bring some clarity to some of the things, uh, issues that you that you have, and I know other coaches out there have as well. Uh, um, I'm hoping that maybe we get that person on here as an interview as well. I think it'd be uh, the the plan that he did was I I thought was ingenious, uh, really really unique and uh, replicatable as well. So uh, beyond the track nation, uh, if you're watching this, uh, Lane's concern and problem right now is uh, a lot of self-awareness there Lane I tell you what that's big uh, reading the book multipliers and uh, kind of self-identified himself as an accidental diminisher I'm not sure many coaches would have the humility to come in and say that Lane uh, you should have some props for that buddy that's uh, that's a big deal to say that uh, in a public forum uh, you do realize that we're streaming live right I did make that Clear before this yeah, is you, right? yeah, yeah, this ain't FaceTime. This is at least two people have heard whole... me say that now. <laughs> oh, yeah, you got more, you got more. So, um, coaches, if you uh have dealt with this or are dealing with this yourself, uh, Lane Schwer would love to hear from you. Lane, what's the uh, best way for maybe someone to uh to have some comments? I'd love for you to put comments down here uh, so that other people can learn from it as well. But if maybe they want to have more of a private conversation, uh, what's the best route to, to hit you up? Uh, email or Twitter or email Instagram, is, smoke signals? Email is the easiest. I mean, it's, it's my last name, Schwer, with the L on the end. So L at uncw.edu. Uh, maybe you should spell Schwer. Schwer, S-C-H-W-I-E-R, and then put the L on the end. So L at uncw.edu. Uh, it's Twitter, just Lane Schwer. Is my Twitter handle at Lane Schwer, um, or on? I've got a team page too, Seahawk TFXC. So you can get through me either way. I do both those things. So absolutely. And again, comments here. Uh, as you're watching this, uh, maybe pre-recorded. If questions come up while you're watching this, uh, put them down there in the comment section. Lane's going to come back to this video in uh, in a few days or a week and uh, see if there's any questions that he can answer afterwards uh lane i can't say thank you enough for being our first interview uh my hope is that this is ongoing i, I would love to interview every coach that watched this today uh every coach that will watch this in the future and again we have 500 members currently uh roughly about uh almost 400 about 380 are monthly active users that means they uh that you uh watch or read uh, or like or comment one of the articles or uh, videos or pictures that I post. Uh, I'll continue to do that. I have it set up on a daily basis. Uh, but this group will only grow and be more useful to coaches out there if you are active. If, when you see a video or a article uh, or have a comment or question that you think the greater body would be interested in, I recommend highly that you post it in Beyond the Track. This group was started for you uh, that so there is no 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 group that will survive without you actually uh, being active and involved and if you would like to be uh, interviewed for our next interview please uh, hit me up I can be reached out here in the comment section at my email uh, Twitter Instagram Facebook smoke signals 
I'll answer them all. So, Lane, thanks for joining us. Uh, good luck in conference coming up, and uh, yep. thanks for joining us, guys. Have a great night. All right. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Just hypothetical.